an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app and answer a few questions. With Angie, you can book instantly at an upfront price or request and compare quotes from multiple pros so you can find the best price for your project. So the next time you have a home project, just Angie that and start getting the most out of your home. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1029. Head on over to ID10T.com slash tour. Uh, I have uh, stand-up comedy dates coming up in Irvine, California, November 15, 16, then Tacoma, Washington at Tacoma Comedy Club, December 12, 13, 14. And I'm going to announce a tour for next year with a crap ton of dates in cities that you might live in or can get to. Uh, hopefully easily. So id10t.com slash tour. Sign up for our email list, id10t.com while you're there. Um, we have some uh, merch items that are hopefully relevant to your interests. And uh, yeah, join us over there. It would be very, very nice to see you there. Uh, events at id10t.com is how you get your thing um, mentioned on the podcast, like Squatch Ronson, who writes, Howdy, I have a comedy horror podcast called The Backwoods Radio Show. The show's set in a happy little backwoods town full of cannibals, mutants, killer clowns, and every other horror cliche under the sun. The Backwoods Radio Show aims to keep you up to date on the goings-on in Dog Snap County, the cannibal capital of the world. Whether the town is fixing to hold its annual tourist hunt or Gator Gary, the half-man, half-alligator mutant in town, is planning another protest at the Leather Factory, you can rest assured we'll be the first to let you know. The podcast is chock-full of all sorts of Easter eggs and nods to classic horror films that horror fans might appreciate. You can find the podcast on all major apps like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Visit us at listen.backwoodspod.us to choose your platform of choice. Squatch Ronson, that sounds fantastic. And I salute you for making such a thing. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. This episode is Linda Hamilton, who is promoting Terminator Dark Fate, which is in theaters Friday, November 1st, which I believe is the day this podcast is going up. So just go see it after the podcast. Listen to the podcast on the way to Terminator Dark Fate. But, um, oh my God, Linda was so wonderful. What a kind, compassionate soul uh, she is. I'll probably post uh, uh, a word salad rap thing at the end and, and uh, go on and on about it and give you some more background on all the stuff that was going on when we recorded this podcast. But she was just could not have been more um, lovely as a human being. So I cannot thank her enough for, for coming on. And I think you'll enjoy this podcast. Um, Linda's really great and funny and open and and honest and, and just an authentic human being. So here we go with the ID10T podcast number 1029 with Linda Hamilton. Initiating ID10T protocol. shit <laughs> and it, is that that and happened an, to you too and it's a new phone so i'm trying to turn it off for you but i'm just gonna silence it though. that's fine. fine do you wear contacts nope do you wear, I just need readers you just need readers yeah well i do My too readers are right here by the way <laughs> yeah i know i can't i don't like i don't like it and i still feel like i'm in denial about it i love wearing glasses i used to fake eye strain every two years as a child Really? I wanted glasses. You know, there are those people. I wanted glasses so badly. And what, uh, when you put the fake glasses on, what did that do? I mean, did you feel yeah, they like... they saw through me every time. 
I would pretend to get headaches. I would pretend I couldn't read the eye chart. They're like, you don't need glasses. Two years later, I'd start again. And so you thought, like, I'll be on this two-year cycle. They'll forget from two years ago. (laughs) In my teeny tiny town. I feel like I had a very similar thing, and I think in my head I thought, this is somehow going to make me more academic. I don't know what I thought. I just, I love glasses. I love men with glasses. Just love glasses. I think maybe it has to do with the fact that you liked being a performer, being a character, being a, I mean, you did go into the right profession for someone who likes to wear I did. pretend things. That's why I say I became a movie star, so I can wear my <laughs> sunglasses day and night. <laughs> I can wear them getting off a plane. You can. I can do whatever I want now. And, and it, so let me ask you about that, because do, do people pretty much leave you alone in public, or are they pretty, like, do they? I get left alone. You do. That's mm-hmm. nice. That's mm-hmm. good. That's yeah. good. As a matter of fact, when it happens that people recognize me, I'm really surprised. But I live in New Orleans now, so it's very, very chill. And it's not about what you do or what you have. It's about who you are. So yeah. people just leave you alone. Well, that's good. It's a good vibe. Yep. Totally but great. When uh, the, the whole Terminator franchise is so fascinating because the first movie, first of all, completely redid, it completely redefined genre film mm-hmm. as to what... You know, those types of films generally had been like, oh, these are very small, these kind of weird dystopian sci-fi things. And then this blows up. Do you, Were you expecting? Did you know when you were making it? Oh, this is something special. Or it's just like, I'm an actor. I'm going to work. Whatever this is, it is. Yeah. Um, this guy with the weird accents in it. Yeah, I don't know. Um, never saw it coming. You know, didn't go, oh, this is going to change the world. As a matter of fact, it was a really slow burn. It didn't. It was not an overnight sensation. I guess I assumed it was, it was. A very slow burn. As a matter of fact, um, and I was reluctant, not really reluctant to do it. My people were all about it, but I was like, mm, New York trained actress. I'm not sure that Arnold can. Help. And then I, I would go, and then I went and saw Arnold at work as the T800, and I was like, all right, we're good there. But it was really only when I saw it that I realized it was it was great. And then I was like, oh, Jim Cameron's a genius. Yeah, that's really funny, because when you... Yeah, I guess if you looked at the empirical data, what did Schwarzenegger... I mean, he had uh, Hercules in New York. Yes. Which was... I mean, I think he would even be like, "No, that was not a, not a." I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a comical highlight in the career of a, you know someone who's an international yes. superstar. Yes. But if you were looking at all the dead, I mean, like, what a robot from the future, and this guy whose voice was dubbed in a Greek, been a bad low right. budget does not add. I don't up. know. Does not add up to thirty-five years later. Here we are. <laughs> here you are after all these films, yeah. and then, and of course, you know, Sarah being this hero for. Um, uh, rebellion and fighting in the face of oppression and your transformation from one to two was so incredible. Just It's about that first scene where you're doing the pull-ups. I mean, that... Indeed. It Whatever one was and whatever was going on in the 80s, I would imagine all culminated in that moment <laughs> of... Like, you bl- you blossomed in a way. Yes. And, and, I, and I also worked hard to get there because I knew where I'd have to be for, for Judgment Day. Yeah. So it wasn't like, oh, now I can just... You know, I worked hard to create what I needed to to make the character arc. You know, seven years later, I said to Jim, if we're going to do this, she better be mad. She's crazy. <laughs> She's the only one who knows what's coming. You know, make her crazy. Yeah. And I was pregnant with my first child. So cut to six months later, I've had the child. I'm, and he sends me the script or hand-delivered a script. And I'm like, oh, shit. This, <laughs> she's crazy. I better get myself ready. Yeah. So I mean, it also is a great tale for anyone who... <laughs> it, because it, she is a character that sort of represents, until you kind of see what's going on, is she crazy or everyone thinks she's crazy, but really she's not. But because of the situation, it has affected her in a way and that has driven her in that. She was like a cocktail waitress, basically. Right. Not even. Just like a Bob's big boy. Right, waitress. right, right. I mean, right. not even cocktail waitress. <laughs> right. So um, to see her years later, um, I I just made the choice that knowing what's coming and being the only person in the world that knows what's coming mm-hmm. 
in the future for mankind would make one pretty crazy. Do you often? No one really believes. No one that. believes. It's like John the Baptist crying out <laughs> in the desert, you know. And that I, I made myself John the Baptist for that one. Well, I think everyone feels that way to a degree sometimes, right? Where mm-hmm. they feel like. I know I'm not crazy and I have this really important information and no one will listen to me. And not only will they not listen to me, everyone's an impediment to me. And they're putting me away so right. I can't even share the tale. Right. What is you, What is her arc to you? Who is she to you? She must be some someone different or special to you than everyone else perceives her. So who is she to you? A woman in hell. Yeah. So, um you know, the fact that after the second one, everyone was like, oh, be like Sarah Connor. I was like, hell no. She suffers bad. I mean, you know, she's a terrible mother. Yeah. She can only get him ready for his future. But can she nurture? Can she do the things that really define mother? Mm-mm. So, um, you know, never saw her as a role model or icon. Yeah. Of course, I got all the attention for my fitness um, and my arms. And, you know, I'm definitely a hard worker. But she's not somebody that I just love playing. She's a hard woman to play. Sure. I mean, it must be emotionally exhausting. Yes. And physically exhausting. <laughs> yes. You get the best of both. Yes. You studied Strasbourg, correct? I did. And I assume there's no acting with robots uh, course at Strasbourg. Not in my day. They might have added that to the <laughs> to the class schedules afterwards, but certainly not in my day. What did you envision when you were when you were studying at Strasbourg? What did you? What types of roles? What did you think? What you know? What what aspirationally were you thinking? Theater, yeah. Shakespeare. Really? Yes, really. And that's what you wanted to... Like, well, you didn't I think never, about film, I mean? You know, it was 1979 when actually... Yeah, 1979 when I moved to L.A. Yeah. And um, I was a really... I had trained in New York, but I was a small-town girl. And it... Like, the idea... It was never about being famous. Mm-hmm. Ever. You know, I mean, I think that's sort of the disconnect between then and now is that... There was no part of me that said, I'm going to go and be a famous actress or even the word movie star. I just loved acting and wanted to act. Yeah. And, of course, being um, brought up at, you know, at Strasbourg, then you reach for Shakespeare and, you know, theater, which is still a great passion of mine. Do you sneak off ever? Are you able to sneak off and go do uh, some productions? And I think. Maybe more to come. I'd be happy doing stage for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, and I've gone and done, you know, uh, Berkshire Theater Festival and theater on in the summertime. Yeah. Which is like going to the best camp there is because it's all about Tennessee Williams and, you know, just a whole different uh, feel than you get in L.A. And that's, I always used to say, although it, it's changed a lot, but... You know, you do films and you learn to uh, sort of loathe actors. <laughs> and then you do stage and you learn to love actors. <laughs> and well, that was kind of the balance that I found. It's like, I got to go fall in love with actors again. Get me some theater. Well, yeah, because it that's so interesting that you say that because film is really... I mean, the theater definitely feels like you're a part of an ensemble. You're a team. Yes. You have to support each other. Film, definitely, although the acting part of it, you should all work together, but it does foster a me, 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 me kind of me, a me, me, situation. Me, 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 yeah, most often. I mean, um, obviously, I've worked with generous actors who aren't like that on film as well, but the few that are me, 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 yeah. they can make you want to quit the business <laughs> faster than um, anything. Well, life's too fucking short. It is. It's too short it to is. be caught up in stupid, like, really, this is what we're hung up on today? Can we not just do this? Yeah. yeah. But I, I, I love that there's a, a weird parallel between... <laughs> The assum- it's, it's sort of like the assumption versus the reality. So the assumption, Sarah Connor is super cool and she's real strong. And, she- and the reality, she's, her brain is just a quagmire of torture. And you all uh, the time movie star. Oh, that'd be so great to be a movie star. But the reality is I would really rather just do theater, mm-hmm. not have to deal with all that other stuff. Yes. And so 
I find that interesting because I think most of our world, the way that we are approaching the world via social media, the internet, whatever, is a projected facade, an illusion, the promise of something grander than it actually is. But when you kind of strip it away, it's like, yeah, yeah, no, it's not that at all. Yes. It's not that at all. And I've kept it pretty clear for myself. You know, it's a job. Yeah. And I'm lucky to get to do the work that I love to do. Yeah. So... You know, I live in a place that is, you know, eternally blessed because how, what percentage of us, 0.5, get to really do what we love for a living. Right. So I know I'm lucky and sort of live that way kindly and gratefully and, you know, don't, don't spend a lot of time wishing for other things. That's the key. That's really the key because it, I'm not saying I'm good at it, but I think it's really the key because so much of, I think, what people do is say it's the if then. If I get this, then I'll be happy. If then. It, it, but if you already know who you are and you know what you enjoy doing and you know, uh, you know, then I, I feel like you could just be, you could, I know it's hard to do, you could just be happy instead of trying to chase. I feel like we spend most of our lives chasing it. Yes. Not me. I mean, <laughs> Were you always yeah, that way? No, no. But, it, you know, I think it was probably after Judgment Day that, um, it was during Judgment Day that I learned to just really truly plant myself in the moment. You know, that job was so hard. I was a single mom. I had a one-year-old baby at home. I'm doing that kind of work. And you hear the crew like, oh, I can't wait to get out of here. This, uh, this factory is so damn cold and uncomfortable. And you know that, like, you have to go to the mental hospital next. And it's right. going to be just as hard. So I learned to firmly plant myself in the day and just get the day done. And um, it was a life, an education, you know. I mean, it was... It's a good way to to learn to just plant and get your day done. Yeah. Well, I think that's good, too, because that it seems like because your child was only like one at that Mm -hmm. time, what a great point in your life to discover that. Oh, yes. To instill that. I mean, I'm sure being a parent, motherhood probably helped ground you as, as well. And, you know, not bringing Sarah Connor home. Right. Because I had a one-year-old and I had to sit on the floor and play with him and let everything go that had just happened. So all of those are great life lessons. Do you, do you take some time after a production to sort of process it or cleanse? Or are you like, okay, I need to, gotta go I, power down for a bit? I've never been one to go from job to job to job. Yeah. So it's always worked out that way for me. My downtime, on the couch, whatever is necessary. <laughs> the, the recovery from this one was was quite significant. You know, I mean, it was probably three or four months of just sort of lazing about the house before I woke up one day and went, well, that was fun. <laughs> so you it had took fun. me four months after to realize that, you know, it was really hard. Yeah. But it, and so hard. But those are the things that you usually can look after later and go, damn, I used every part of myself every day for six months. And that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> and so is it, are you ready to go back and do theater again right now? Or is it like, I just want to quiet? Or did that kind of stir up any, you know, maybe I'm going to do some more film stuff. I love to work. So either way, either way. Um, I love, I would love to do new stuff, comedy, the final frontier. Yep. Um, and one would hope that this would open new doors for me that way. Not comedy. I mean, nobody's going to look at this film and go, wow, she's a comedian. But just in terms of, you know, you get another 15 minutes and you got to sort of try to make that 15 minutes, create a new, you know, door to open. Do you think, do you think it is like a, when that, when a, when a big successful movie comes out, they like, they flip a, uh, an hourglass and like, okay, you got this amount of time to get in there and do something um, else. You have to take advantage of the, you know, being of the attention that's put your way. Yeah. It, um, I mean, I've, I've been around long enough. I have my f- directors that will always approach me if there is a part or, you know, it's not that I'm really concerned about career, but 
I mean, my answer to uh, Judgment Day when I got my 15 minutes was <laughs> to go and get pregnant immediately and have another baby and like completely put myself <laughs> out of work. So, you know, I'm not a planner. <laughs> How can I make this challenging thing more challenging? Exactly. So, but like, maybe you thrive. Oh, she's great, but she's unavailable. <laughs> yeah, but it sounds like you thrive in those situations. Like even though you, uh, because I, I, I've been really stuck on this idea lately that, we really romanticize the idea of, you know, oh, everything should be super fun and convenient and easy all the time. And, you know, we are constantly conditioned to avoid struggle as much as possible because we, we can take pills to not feel unpleasant. We can distract ourselves with a million things on the Internet and video games or whatever to feel from feeling unpleasant. And you... It sounds like you just embrace the unpleasantness when it's happening and you still have the ability to go, yeah, no, this shit's not fun, but I'm doing it and I'm going to get through it. It has to be done. I am not looking for the easy way. Um, this actually, you know, maybe we could talk a little bit about going into the deep places because I had to for this character each time, but even more significantly on this film um, because – what gets lost is the interior work that you do. You know, you look a certain way or people are like, oh, she's still badass. Or, you know, yes, I trained for a year. I trained hard. I didn't eat carbohydrates for a year. And that tends to eclipse because that's what we pay attention to is mm -hmm. the outside, outside, outside and appearances. But as well as training and, you know, my regimen and my diet, like, I had to go into my deepest, darkest places of pain and sadness and disappointment because that is where Sarah Connor lives. Yes. And um, there's no happy ending for her. So I had to explore and fill in the missing years, which are 27 years since we saw her last. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I... I just had to go there and not only, you know, every day as we shot, but, you know, for months and months beforehand, just to touch base with those places. And, um, because that's the work I do. So it does after a while start to add up a little bit. I think sure. kind of, I think I was maybe a little more prickly on this film than I've ever been because no one would ever call me prickly. I'm like, <laughs> Yep, I can do that. Okay, let's go. Like, I don't argue. I don't find a reason not to do things. I am a trooper and a good sport. And, you know, that was, I think, why I actually had a career because I wasn't the most talented at all. I mean, I, over the course of all these years, I've learned to act. But I was a damn good sport. Just, like, jump in and do it. But um, when you spend time and really, I think... I can't say that I care more about Sarah Connor because I really do work to fulfill the demands of every character I play. I'm 100% there. But the fact that I'd played her before and then again, I mean, like, I know Sarah Connor in a way that the people that I'm working with might not. Sure. So suddenly there is this added, um, s not stress, per se, but this need to honor a character that I've played before. You're protective of her. And that came out and owned me a couple of times, you know, this sort of fierceness that I had been building up to for a sure. year anyway, and for maybe 35 years, you know, who knows what's really in the back of the psyche. But, you know, by the time I showed up for work, my internal monologue, just walking my dog around New Orleans was kind of like... I mean, very buried inside, but it's like, who wants to fight? You know, I mean, like, I'm going about my life, but I'm just like, who wants to fight? Hey, Linda and Hamilton, starting so a fight club, you guys. <laughs> and I was so ready. And then, you know, there are so many more factors that are impacting fil a film this size. Sure. So many versions of me. That was really hard for me because I don't like to give up a moment of my performance. And yet this, the 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 spans of this film, the span of this film and all of the people that are doing it little, you know, like I did all this stuff on the freeway. Why are they sending a stunt girl back to, for a week 
to get little bits and pieces. Like I don't want anybody to have a little bit or piece of my right. performance. Right. And on Judgment Day, I essentially did almost all of the stunts. You know, I mean, yeah, she ran, she ran through the broken glass, but because um, <laughs> I'm like, no, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. But you don't have the luxury of that on this film. There's so many teams going off in the computer, the CGI younger version of me and the body double who does the flashback scene. I mean, I watched the body double work. Her body looked fantastic. I mean, she was an actress, all of this, but I basically, you haven't seen the film, but haven't seen it yet, yeah. there's a flashback scene and there's none of me in it. Like they used a body double and then they put my digital younger face on that and the inability to take charge, I saw that and I was like, to the stunt guys, this is like, I'm not even working. I'm just there to kind of supervise. But they'd already staged this stuff. And I'm like, nah, uh uh she's not going to just let him toss her off. She's got to, like, and I cried at the end of the day because I was like, that's not me. I want, I'm like, I'm so fierce and maybe just fierce as Sarah Connor, but. I had to work with the stunt girls all the time. Like, hold that weapon tighter. <laughs> I want you to have tendonitis in your elbow like I have in mine. From don't just casually hold, like, fierce. And, um, you know, it's really hard. I, I, not, I am not a control freak. But apparently I am. <laughs> because I just care. Well, but I and think it sounds like you're protective of what's important to you. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that, you know, you've lived with it for so long. And especially, and I understand, especially if you're like, if we're going to fucking do this movie after all this time, if we're going to keep the story going, then it has to be done. Because at the end of the day, it still represents you you and, and Sarah. Uh, yes. And I don't want to let Sarah Connor down. No. It's not even the fans. It's not anything about, I don't want to let Sarah Connor down. Right. And um, I didn't want to jump into a film that didn't compare to the first two that I did. Right. So that was the niggling thought in my head, just like, how can I, you know, just bring something new but equally interesting to this part of Sarah Connor's story? Right. And in sort of accessing all the darkness and the the darker places, was it... Were you kind of getting prepared mentally, like, okay, here we go. We're going to do this again. We're going to get back into this. And you uh, just uh, sort of allow yourself to feel those things. You, oh, yes. you make the deal with yourself, like, and, I'm going to allow this, but and, then I've got to shut the door. And the after. doubts and the, you know, I mean, it. I spent a lot of time crying in my room for the first six weeks because I just felt like it was so sort of far beyond my control. It wasn't like, uh, well, the fear being that it's not going to be good. But, um, I mean, it really wasn't – it has nothing to do with Tim. Tim is a wonderful master director. But just so many elements that did not seem like they were going to come together in a way that was going to make a good movie. Mm-hmm. And so it was. there was a bit of an existential crisis for a while at the beginning, at the top, because the script hadn't really been finished and they're sending new pages and they're sending pages that don't actually dovetail with the story. And I'm like, how can I be saying this when we haven't even discovered? I mean, there was so much sort of trying to, they were still, you know, finishing the script and the layout of the story. And you find things in your script and like, but, but wait a minute. (laughs) You know, like my very first day I arrived, Jim Cameron had rewritten the scene the night before. It was very playable. But they had worked two days before. I mean, we'd been together for weeks and weeks on end training. and Sure. So it's not like first day, first day. It was right. just first shooting day. And um, the ladies, Natalia and Mackenzie, had been shooting for a couple of days, the beginning of the scene. So Sarah Connor drives up and says, I need answers from you two. Get in the car. Well, what Jim didn't know was that Mackenzie is lying unconscious on the sidewalk. <laughs> so Why are you just lying there? Get in the car. Get, wake up and get in the car. Um, so, I mean, it sounds like a little thing, but it, then all of the dialogue had to sort of be restructured and it didn't play because it didn't 
start the way that it was supposed to start. And then Tim knew that it was in trouble, so he writes his version. But we're in Madrid in the heart of the city with thousands of people trying to get their first look. And they're covering me with jackets mm-hmm. so no one gets a shot of Sarah Connor. And, and, then we, and so Tim writes a shorter version of it. But no one gets to print it out for us or hand it to us. And it's a, the first day jitters. They're shooting over my weapon hand, and it's shaking. And I'm like, what is happening? My hand is shaking. And they're shooting. It was just so intense. And at one point, I'll just never forget this as a first day, they're shooting up at me. And I'm looking down to Natalia, who's Danny Ramos, who's on the ground. And it's our first day together. And at one point, while we're rolling, she looks up at me. She goes, are we shooting the long version or the short version? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, it was that confusing. So you have a very uncertain Sarah Connor. Interesting. Uncertain. And this is not who Sarah Connor is. Sarah Connor is certain. She might be wrong, but she is certain. So, you know, things like that, that'll really throw you for a curve. We ended up reshooting all of that when we were all on our game. Sure. But, you know, I mean, it was all unexpected, but it was just too much and too wrong. And that's our first day. I'm like, oh, shit. We are. <laughs> you know. Don't you think it's better to start off that way, though, than, like, <laughs> than the first like, day is amazing. We and nailed then it. it. The We're going to be way. so good. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. But it really, you know, for a while, it was sort of like Humpty Dumpty. When it. When is the script going to be finished? And they're like, maybe not till September. And I'm like, how do you do this? I mean, as an actor, our job is to know the story so backwards and forwards that every moment just gets linked to the past and to the future. That's how you build something that is authentic. Sure. That is our job, is to link the moments to be truthful. But if you don't know where the moments fall... So I'm like, how, it was just, you know, it was all brand new to me because it's been a long time since I've been in such a huge film. And, you know, I gave them hell. I, I mean, not, you know, even, even when we were getting ready, I mean, I remember calling Tim because I wasn't getting the stunt rehearsals that Mackenzie was, even though she does amazing stuff throughout the entire film. And it's usually one-on-one. So you really have to rehearse the hell out of it and we all did but basically Sarah Connor is like the weapons girl I mean what good is my flesh and blood and bone body gonna do against a Rev-9 sure or a Terminator so yeah we rehearsed weapons but not enough stunts and I remember calling Tim it's like I don't want to be a figurehead I need the rehearsals I need the stunt rehearsals where are they you know just uh worried sure but that's you know in in as much as the characters (coughs) in the story don't know what's happening and it could be (laughs) catastrophic or it could turn out okay you also as the performer are don't know if it's going to turn out catastrophic or don't know if it's going to turn out okay and it took us a while to sort of find our rhythm and then you know just full-on trust and you know, I, this is not, it was, that was only about the beginning and the complexities as much as you think you're ready, you know, situations intervene and, you know, it, for a while it, it concerned me greatly. But at least, uh, you're working on a big film so that some of those, it's like, if that had been a small, smaller film and then the beginning was a little messy and you're like, can we reshoot that? No, no, not at all. That was it. No. <laughs> so fortunately, you know, we we pulled it together. Well, that's good. I mean, it. <laughs> how, how do you in in your life, whether it's this or in your regular personal life or whatever, when you're faced with these types of struggles or the types of things that we were talking about before, there's always a little struggle. There's always pain. There's discomfort. What is it that, like, what tools do you employ to push through? Do you kind of do daily mantras, or is it you just kind of attack things as they come? Like, what's your, what's your plan? Well, scene by scene. I mean, really, in Madrid, we were there for mm, six-plus weeks, a lot of rehearsal. We shot in and around Madrid and other parts of Spain for another month or so. And then mostly, to, mostly the rest of the film was in Budapest. But in Madrid... I didn't leave my room. 
I didn't play tourist. I didn't go out for meals. I worked on the script, um, worked on my character, emailed Jim, uh, but just stayed very um, compressed into the character until I had my short footing, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so you do everything you can just for the day's work and then whatever else you can to sort of collect the piece so that you understand it. So really, I was in my room for two months in Madrid. Oh, wow. But that's why you're Doing my work. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't go to play. You know, I know the difference. I'm not there to be a tourist. I, especially at my age, you know, I mean, I... You know, when you're young, you have more energy. You can maybe take a night out and stay out all night and still show up and be great the next day. But Oh, I couldn't I, do that. Physically, um, so much was demanded that I came home and laid down <laughs> to rest my body yeah. because demands were made every day, great demands, and read 40 books while I was shooting this film. Wow. So I rested my body and took my mind elsewhere, and that's how I kept myself healthy. And is that what you do normally in life when you're not working on film, when you have I'm to... a reader. Um, I mean, yes, I have a real life in New Orleans and friends and dinners and dogs and relationships. But when I'm working, I'm in my room, Yeah, you know, resting, reading, getting ready for the next day. Right. What types of books do you like to read? Well, Tim got me started on sci-fi fantasy again. Uh-huh. I hadn't read it for 35 years or so. Um, you kind of lived it. I used to read it. a lot. I lived it. <laughs> um, and it's come so far. Yeah. So he started uh, me on uh, uh, Joe Abercrombie trilogy. Okay. And, um, and then, you know, Kindle comes up and new. So I just read fantastic science fiction. Broken Earth, um, J.K. Nemesin, uh, Three-Body Problem. That's an Obama pick, and that was like one of the most amazing and difficult books. It's just true quantum physics and so intelligent and tedious, but the payout was so great. So a lot of sci-fi fantasy. Oh, that's fantastic. um, Really good stuff. Have you ever thought about writing the I do not have one damn story in my head. I'm a good editor. I mean, because I read and I'm a wordsmith and I love words and I can be a public speaker. Do I have one story to tell? I don't know where those people get those amazing ideas. Right. But no, I don't have one original idea in my head that I want to tell. And I would never write like my autobiography or something because I'm not that self-oriented. <laughs> like who cares? It's, uh, it's never going to be about me, 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 me. Oh my God, we're in the we're in the uh, we're, we're we're basically that's the era. This is the me, me, me era. I know. You know? It's like this is the age. Of I'm the me. other. I'm the other thing. Yeah. Well, that's that's great though. Yep. I mean, it's it, great for me anyway. Well, I would imagine because it to maintain any sort of. I mean, listen. In theory. It would be great if we could balance that stuff with our normal lives and lead a balanced digital life and a balanced real world life. But, you know, people can't have nice things, Linda. We just like we just don't handle things well in general. It's like kind of an all or nothing sort of a thing. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I think you've made the right choice. I assume you're not on social media or anything. Not at all. No. Never. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I've gotten my life down to... Um, my son inadvertently, um, of course, broke my computer. I mean, like spilled the little bit of wa- just the smallest amount of water just that just right completely spot. knocked out my computer. And I was very busy doing a reno and doing this and doing that. And I couldn't get out and I never bought myself another computer. So and then after a while, I'm like, you know, I'm doing OK. So I have one device, my phone. And that's kind of the way that I am. He kind of weirdly did you a favor. Uh, it, this is true. If we listen, if we listen, we'll realize that, you know, these things are meant to be. So I have one device, and basically my approach in uh, my later life is having cleared out my mother's things after her death, or actually before her death, you know, and sure. and my grandmother's things before that with my mother. Mm-hmm. I, when I die, my children are going to come up 
to whoever is around and go, where are my mom's 10 things? <laughs> you just have 10 I things. I am not a collector of anything. I, as a matter of fact, I've been reducing, 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 reducing um, for as many years as I can count, really. And still, life has granted me so much. But, like, what do you really need? Right. Some animals, mm-hmm. a pile of books, yep. and some close friends. That's nice. So I really um, i am not much about things at all. Well, that's healthy because... You know, as you know, we, I, I like things, although I don't feel like, I mean, I think if you look around the house, you go, oh, these people love a lot of fucking things. And it's a really, really beautifully <laughs> well done house. Oh, I thanks. I say that I am. Thank you. Just enchanted being here. Oh, thank you. Because I heard you say you were working on a reno and uh, were, are you, were you restoring an old New Orleans house? Well, fortunately, no, because that, that is more than I would be willing to take on. I live in a, a storefront Oh, so wow. it was never great. It was, you know, it's old. It's, uh, I think it's actually older than it's pre-Victorian, um, but it's a, a huge brick building with like a big open space in the bottom that was never nice. It was never a plantation or a fine home because that would be a lot of pressure to try sure. to restore. Sure, and not ready to take that on. So it's rough as hell. But um, and funky, yeah. And then two buildings that were awkwardly joined in time. So, you know, Stranger Thing has the upside down. I have the outside in. You know, where it's this place where the two buildings were joined together with this funny roof, and it just is the soaring space in between my two built. It's just weird, but it works for me. It's funky. Well, that's the thing. And is- no pressure to like restore the wood to its fine original. It was never fine. Right. So I like that. Yeah, that's great because it sounds like your functioning principle is very similar to Sarah's, which is just like, hey, just make this shit work. Yep, this will do. Whatever you got, you it's just make the it work. first and only building that I looked at in New Orleans because um, I'm also oh – God, my philosophy. But – I never buy up. You know, I see the writing on the wall. It's diminished returns when you're an aging actress. So um, I sold my farm in Virginia for a certain price and then had to buy for less because that's the way I do things. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, hmm, where are the... So this house on the other side of the river would have been, you know, four times much. But sure. I saw that one building and I was like, I could get that view for that price especially coming from California. Right, right, right. I don't know why California hasn't snapped up, but I erased that because I don't really don't want that to happen. But Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I just said, this will do. And it's the only building I saw. You know, the realtor, I said, I'm coming in from Virginia to see this place. And the realtor's like, what are you looking for? And I was like, this house, <laughs> this building. That was it. And that was it. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Urban Outfitters, Sephora, and Nike. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. So what was it about New Orleans that uh, that made you feel like this is where I want to uh, plant roots? The hist- in this magical city. Yes. The history, the people... Uh, the architecture, mm-hmm. the feeling, it's just so, it's pre-American, you know, it has this amazing charm, and people, strangers call you baby. <laughs> <laughs> and that is why I moved. I was like, I, I, lo- I, you know, I deserve to be called baby. Yes. By strangers. Every day. Every day. And you do get it there. It's amazing. People are just so, and it's not like Southern faux charm. Oh, it bless is, your heart. Oh, bless your bless heart. Bless your heart. No, oh, aren't you no. sweet? It's like, you know, you, your cart gets a little too close to somebody in the grocery store and I'm like, I'm sorry. She goes, oh, baby, you got nothing to be sorry about. You're just wonderful. <laughs> and like, that is how we live in New Orleans. And I'm all about that. 
And do you think you'll just? I mean, it sounds like you are just planning to stay there I think forever. I'm stay there. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, are, are there more and more productions coming to New Orleans now? And Damned if I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even. You know, people are like, "You're here to work." I'm like, "Nah, here to live." <laughs> to live. But um, so it comes and goes. Actually, the minute that I moved there, apparently dried out, dried up. But. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know what? You can go. You can go Who fly cares? someplace for a month if you need to. Absolutely. I I hope that you get to do like weird comedies. <laughs> and I honestly just think, you know, I don't know. Does someone pitch you for comedies or not yet? But I feel like this is this has got it. This has got to happen. Yeah. This has to happen because I know that there are a lot of. People who especially were so inspired by the series and you in particular, maybe they just thought, oh, she'll never want to do this weird comedy because, you know, I'm sure she wants to do. And sometimes it's just about saying like, hey, I want to do your fucking weird comedy. Putting it out there a little bit. Yeah. But really you do get um, sort of pigeonholed or maybe not anymore. But after the second Terminator, you know, I got offered military women. Right. Lesbians. And police officers. Mm-hmm. And I literally went into a meeting with a director years later, and it it was for Dante's Peak, actually. And he said, well, you've never done a part like this before. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, normal. <laughs> and that that happens. That ha- I mean, people are like, oh, I don't, I don't know. She's going to eat them alive or chew them for, up for breakfast or like, Which is like so you've, isn't that ridiculous? Like you've never played normal. It's like, well, you know, if I did that with Sarah Connor, I could probably reel it all in and play normal too. Well, it's just I'm like really normal. It's like you're, but I think people forget like it's pretend it's professional there pretending. You there you go. You know, when Tom Cruise did interview the vampire, people aren't like, I think this guy's a fucking vampire. Like yep. he was put on the teeth. He's yep. that's not real. It's not real. Mm-hmm. But it maybe it's just because uh I don't know, people are just can just be very short-sighted and they they just kind of want what's in front of them or what's easy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, where do you feel like on your end <laughs> that you I guess maybe it's theater, you know, where you can really stretch your legs and spread your wings and show people like look at all these other things that I do. And if you don't care about the fame part, that's the best because Absolutely. all you then all you have to worry about is like, is this fun or not? Mm-hmm. How's the theater scene in New Orleans? Is there a theater? Would you I'm be theater starting there? to check it out. Um, I'm just starting to look, and I don't really know how. You know, what do you do? Show up at their door and go, "Hi, you got anything for me?" Right. So I am actually trying to check out productions in New Orleans and just really getting to that. And there is some. St- there is some stuff, and I am on it, but have yet to walk up and... <laughs> Hi. Hi. Do you know me? <laughs> I'm, my movie's right across the street, <laughs> and I thought I could just come... I mean, is it the kind of thing where you think you would um, open a space and or, or kind of uh, do your you own You know thing? what? Mm. That's a whole other no, level. Oh of- my word! I mean, I actually it did cross my mind. There's a building in my neighborhood that used to be a theater, and now it's this sort of mega church. But now it's um, in foreclosure, and sure. it's like I did did get myself in there, you know, under false pretenses to <laughs> <laughs> to check it out, and then you know, it's just I do not have it within me to open a theater. Right, that's a lot of extra work. And, yeah, it's a lot of extra work. Yeah, I'm not the producer director. I just like acting. Yeah, well, you no, know, think- I don't want to be. I don't want to run the show. It does not bring out. I mean, the show. <laughs> right. Um, it just. I don't think it brings out the best in many people, and I just want to show up and do my job. Acting. Yeah, but I think the more that you talk about that, that you then I think people go, oh, she is open to doing these other things. I think people just make assumptions. Is there a specific, is there a part in the back of your head, whether it's a Shakespearean or just a, a play, a general play, is there a part where you're like, that, that is what I really, I really want to do that particular role? Um, well, I'm way too old for it now, but I... I just had a love affair with Joan of Arc. Uh-huh. That was just deep, meaningful um, converse- the, the, the conversations with oneself and with God and the misunderstood martyr 
big themes for me. Sure. It's the Sarah Connor thing, too. But <laughs> no, I would love to do Shakespeare and I would love to do comedy. I would, you know, I'm, I just love good theater and, and, and the classics. That's interesting you know? that you that you like that the character with like a real existential journey. Isn't that interesting? Because you you know Sarah definitely is <clears throat> the, that is the classic Greek hero's journey that mm-hmm. she's gone through. She mm-hmm. has to go through it alone. She can't have attachments. That like the gods are constantly dropping shit in her path that she has to work around. That's right, and that's where her strength comes from. And she's sort of a you know miserable, but it still gets through it. You know. And with your, when you are kind of having those existential moments, what are your questions? How do you feel? What do you see? You know, like what's your, what's your journey? Oh, you mean me, Linda Hamilton? Linda Hamilton. I, I do ask myself the deep questions because I want to stay honest um, and, you know, Honest and authentic, but also I want to contribute to the world. Yes. And I don't know that I've done enough of that. You know, I feel like I ask myself that every day. What more can I do in terms of just volunteering, donating? It, it's it's a real sticky wicket because as a celebrity, you can get behind a cause. But then if you're not informed, what does your stupid celebrity voice mean? Right. And you know, I really, I wanted to go and work with the United Way or United Nations. And there was a point in my life, which was pretty funny, actually, that was many years ago, post-T2, post-divorce from Jim. And I was just like, I got to do more with myself. We laugh because my family says that I'm the one in the family that didn't do something with her life. They're all doctors and lawyers and social workers. And like, I'm the failure in my family. So So that keeps me honest. But there was a time where um, just really wanting to bring more meaning to my life I called, I had uh, a friend, we did everything that we could on the internet to find like the, um, the, the biggest name up the line of United Way, mm-hmm. which is really an umbrella organization for hundreds and hundreds sure. of charities. So, you know, I don't ever really call and go, I'm Linda Hamilton. You know yeah. what I mean? I what do you got for me? Avoid. <laughs> what do you got for me? Got for me? So, um, I called the, the top number on the list of whoever we could find. And I called them and I said, yes, my name is Linda Hamilton. And I just want to find a way to join your organization and be meaningful and travel for you or whatever that means. I'm not talking about a commercial or the obvious stuff, but I really want to be an ambassador for United Way. And the guy on the other end of the phone pauses and pauses, and then he goes, um, is this court ordered? <laughs> what did you do? I, I was like, you know, uh, that's all right. We'll, we'll find the next guy. I mean, can you believe it? <laughs> oh, these Hollywood people. I know. I don't know what, I don't, boy, Linda Hamilton done fucked up somehow. Totally thrown yeah. off oh, his game, and I was so thrown off funny. my game. Oh my god! That's... Uh, try to make a damn contribution, huh? That is so funny. Well, and also, you know, I'll just say this. You know, like to, to all the people who are like, "Well, I'm a doctor." You know, what what have you done with your life? And we're like, "Well, I thwarted the apocalypse twice, so maybe you can suck it." How about that? I know. Um, oh but my word! Just sort of lastly, as we're wrapping this up, and and I can't thank you again enough for being so gracious mm. and being so kind and. For you know the the my tardiness, which is not a thing that I ever am, and I know my mom appreciates it too. Aww. So I was like, "Mom, Linda Hamilton's in my house. I gotta go." And she's like, "Sweetheart, it'll be fine." I go, "It's not gonna be fine." And so I, I, she wanted me to thank you as well on, on behalf of her. But as we're wrapping this up, um, what's just a thing that you uh, like? A thing that you say to yourself to stay joyful, to stay present, to stay connected. Like, what's a thing you say to yourself or a thing that you do just for other people who are sort of feeling disconnected in this, you know, crazy mm. world? Stay curious 
and don't be rigid. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that the rigidity is what kills us when the brain isn't solvent and has these rigid beliefs. I definitely stay in touch with flora and fauna. I take my walks. I notice the blooms, the scents, the leaves, the animals, the possums, the bugs. I hear the birds. I mean, that's just my way Mm -hmm. of sort of staying outside of myself. Um, And I did make the agreement with myself a hundred years ago when, when I was finally diagnosed with bipolar disorder, great way to end the show. Um, (laughs) and I was 40 before I was diagnosed. Um, and I had just been so self absorbed for so many years because when your brain doesn't turn off and it's always, you know, the signals are crossing. I was a hard person, you know, I used to say it would, I can say now that it was, There was only room for me, and it was still loud and crowded. Mm -hmm. And that is a horrible way to live for 40 years before I got sort of the diagnosis and, you know, a little bit of medication that could just pull me out of myself. And from that age on, when I got lifted out of my ill brain and could apply the breaks and all of the therapy and the discipline that I had learned and spent money and time on for all those years... I just said, it is never going to be about me again. Mm-hmm. And I have held on to that for 20-some years. It's very it's freeing. Like, it is not about me. And if I'm having a bad day, I'm like, well, it'll be a better day tomorrow. Or, there, you know, I just, just don't ever let it be about me anymore. That's a brilliant way to end the podcast and a, and a beautiful way. And thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Because I think it... If we could more times during the day when we could get caught up, go, this is not about me, because right. everything in our world tells it, us things are about us. Exactly. And if when we fight that and even make that statement, I think that will be tremendously helpful to Good. people. Good. So thank you so much. And uh, people should – I mean, I, I feel dumb saying, like, you should see Terminator. Yes, of course. <laughs> if you listen to this podcast – You should see it twice. There's a good chance you're going to go see this movie if you haven't already seen it, if it's, if it's out uh, when this comes out. But thank you for your kindness. You're welcome, and, uh, and generosity and uh, – uh, and I hope to see you again sometime. I would love to come back. Please, thank you so much. All Linda. right. The All end. Right. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're welcome, you sweetheart. Oh, would you please We're signing. Our guest book. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. That was the ID10T podcast number 1029 with Linda Hamilton. It is time for ID10T rap or idiot rap. Maybe it's idiot rap. I'm going to settle on a name one of these days. Um, I know I haven't done these the last few episodes it, but that's mainly been for scheduling reasons. I mean, they might not be on every single one. It's, you know, if I have time to do them or if I, if I definitely have something that I think is valuable to add or that I want to share. Uh, but if, you know, but sometimes if I don't have anything to say or if the podcast is dense enough, I might go, ah, you know, they've, the, the audience doesn't need to hear me drone on and on at the end. I don't even know if anyone listens to these, to be honest. But uh, I just wanted to give you some context for the podcast to, number one, show what an incredible human being Linda Hamilton is, but also I think there's an important lesson to extract from the, from the tale I'm about to share. So um, the day before this podcast, we recorded a few weeks ago, so the day before, uh, I got, we've had a lot of very sad pet news lately. Um, I don't know if you follow Lydia or our cat on Instagram. Isn't it weird you can follow people's pets on Instagram? Um, but, uh, Anubis, our cat, Lydia's cat for 13 and a half years, my adopted cat, I'm the step cat to a cat. Um, we got some very sad news about him and he's still around, but we don't know for how long. And so we're just doing the best we can to keep him comfortable and keep him happy. And, um, could be a week, could be a month, could be a few months. Um, we just don't know at this point. Also... The day before this podcast, my mom called and said, I'm at the vet 
with my dog Benji. Now my mom has rescued three animals, two cats and a dog. And if you are ever reincarnated as an animal, you will want to be one of my mom's pets. She takes exquisite care of her pets, treats them like children, um, is very maternal, and of course is devastated when things go sideways. And it's just that strange agreement that we have with ourselves that we know, but we try not to think about too much, Is which is that it is likely we're going to outlive our pets. And it's a very hard thing to, it's a very hard thing. So um, she called me the day before and said, I met the vet. There's something wrong with Benji. There's fluid in his lungs. He, they're saying he might have heart failure. I don't know what to do. Um, I'm going to bring him home and put him on all this medicine. Can, can you please come over? Because I just don't want to be alone with him in this right now. And I said, absolutely. So I went over to my mom's place. We were up late trying to get him to eat, um, just making sure he was okay. And I said, well, I'll just stay over because if you have to suddenly get up in the middle of the night and run to the vet, at least I'll be here. I can help out or whatever. And she said, okay, great. So um, the next morning, I had a podcast with Linda Hamilton at 9 a.m. Linda was on time. I was not. I overslept, which is not something I ever do. But we were up late, and it was obviously a stressful night. And so I turned my phone on at 9.01 a.m. It's still just like rubbing sleep out of my eyes to a lot of texts saying like, where are you? Linda Hamilton's here at your house. Are you coming? And immediately... Oh my God. So I, uh, I very quickly made sure the dog was okay, then hopped in the car and bolted for my house. Now, I didn't know what to expect when I got here. I, you know, Linda would have had every right to be like, how dare you be late? Or are you always late for your guests? Or she could have just said, you know what? We had a very tight schedule. I'm so sorry. I can't do the podcast now. I'm running through every worst case scenario in my brain. Um, and then I get here, I'm flustered, I'm embarrassed, I'm stressed about the dog. And, uh, and she, I just have to say all the respect in the world to her. She was so calming because she could tell that I was like visibly shaken up. And she said, Oh, sweetie, it's fine. We're fine. Just take a breath. You're okay. I'm okay. I've enjoyed sitting in your wonderful house. Don't even worry about it. And then we started the podcast. So a couple things to extract from this. Number one, I was running through every worst case scenario in my head. Maybe don't do that because <laughs> it just creates more stress. And the truth is, even if she had left, stressing about it the whole way wouldn't have made that any better or worse. So that's the first lesson. Second of all, um, she, again, could have... And, and I would have completely understood if she had been angry or been like, you know, this wasted a bunch of my time, I don't know, you know, and she didn't. And so that's the other thing is that you never know what people are going through. You don't. And in those times where you might, you know, like you have stuff going on, you might want to react and be like, hey, why were you, you know, why'd you make me late or why were you late or whatever? The fact that she was totally chill and took the time to kind of like understand the situation, it just... It was such a beautiful, wonderful human moment. So I would just say in those times when, you know, people do stuff in life for their, you know, like you're behind someone in line and they're just not getting all their shit together or they seem distracted or they're at a stoplight and it turns green and they don't go. And your first reaction is to be like, oh, this dumb asshole, what are they doing? Come on, I got places to... Like, you just never know what people are going through. And in those times where you don't have the opportunity to look them in the eye and try to understand them and try to make them feel better and, you know, and uh, instead of focusing on ourselves, we can focus on other people to make them feel better. But in those times we don't have that opportunity, maybe just assume that maybe that's that one time that they are having, like, a, a weird human moment or something sad going on in their lives. Whether or not it's true... Isn't it better <laughs> than being frustrated with people <laughs> and, and put off? I don't know. It just, I thought it was such a beautiful lesson and such a, and such a wonderful moment that was a gift. And maybe it wasn't even anything that she thought twice about, but it really resonated with me and it really meant the world to me. And you can do that for other people too. And it's also great because it gets you out of your own head. So when presented with things that otherwise would feel like <laughs> impediments to you <laughs> that are caused by someone else, at first, just 
Lead with love and empathy if you can. <laughs> Support instead of stress. How about that? Is that does that make sense? Because honestly, most people are doing the best they can. You know what I mean? They're not trying to fuck your day. They are probably actively trying to unfuck their own day. That's all. That's my droning on and on for Idiot Rap this time. Um, and again, a huge thanks and many hugs to Linda Hamilton. And uh, just to sort of give you the button on the story, it does. I may have mentioned it or not, but it seems like the do- our, my mom's dog is going to be okay. He will have to be on heart medicine for the rest of his life. But... Uh, he, he does seem okay for now. And, um, and that's that. Uh, and then of course, uh, the Anubis situation, it's, you know, we, we all know that there, that life has an expiration date. It still sucks when we find out about it. And so, you know, we're doing the best we can and just kind of enjoying each day. He seems okay right now. And we're just enjoying that for as long as we can. Um, he is Anubis Tutankhamenhurst on Instagram. I don't know why I'm giggling. It just, it's adorable that pets have Instagram accounts, but, um, but, uh, we're, we're definitely hanging in there. So if, uh, if you are going through some pet sadness right now, my heart goes out to you. You know, love them as best you can. Appreciate the moments that you have. Really sort of take away that it's much about squeezing as much as you can out of the present as possible. And just make their lives, pour as much love as you can into them and make their lives as happy um, and as comfortable as you can. And uh, I appreciate you listening. I really do. I hope you have a wonderful day. I hope everything is going great in your life. And um, I'll see you in your ears real soon. ID 10 scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. Welcome to Pura, the most pristine, safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the outer lands. There's no crime in Pura. No murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us. In Pura, we promise to keep you safe. They killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pura. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now, ad-free, on Wondery Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.